I invite you to turn to that second letter from the Apostle Paul to young Pastor Timothy and add my welcome to you as you're turning there. I've missed worshiping with you the last two Sundays. There is no people with whom I would rather draw near to God with than this dear group of saints, Emmaus Road Church. Love being here. Um, Also want you to know uh, how much I've appreciated your prayers for me as I've traveled the last two weekends. Uh, This is on account of my added role as a regional leader for the Midwest, Northwest region of Sovereign Grace Churches. As as I engage um, in this representative oversight of the elderships of seven churches, um, I begin to have a small sense, I think, of what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, where he says, apart from the other things, all those other things, that long list of hard things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. All churches, all elderships are experiencing unique challenges in these uniquely challenging times. Some churches and some elderships and some pastors are experiencing much greater challenges than others. And in my added role, I I feel that pressure more than when I did not have that added role. So if you're thinking, "Hmm, I I feel led to pray for Pastor Greg. I wonder if that's the Spirit's prompting. Wonder no more. (laughs) All right. Uh, It is the Spirit's prompting, and I covet your prayers daily, weekly. I I need supernatural wisdom and supernatural protection and supernatural help and supernatural restraint from sinning and doing stupid stuff. I, I just need what God alone can give, so keep praying for me. Back in February... When our elders and our missional community leaders, and, and my wife especially, uh, and I were praying about whether me taking on this added role was of the Lord, I, I especially, well, remember Lori's first response. Um, she said, you are ready for this work, and the Lord has prepared you to serve in this way at this time. And of course, uh, you know, as meaningful as that was to hear from especially my wife, I believe that the Lord had not just prepared me. I I believe the Lord had prepared us as a household. I believe that the Lord had prepared us as an eldership. I believe that the Lord had prepared us as a church so that we were all ready for what this added role would mean. You see, we are God's workmanship, recreated by virtue of our union with Christ Jesus for good works which he has planned for us, and good works for which he has been preparing us through every experience, good, bad, every day of our lives, so that in his time, according to his purpose and to the praise of his sovereign grace, we might all walk in them. But listen carefully. God is not only engaged at this very moment in preparing you and me for good works that he has planned for you and me to walk in. God is calling you, each and every one of you, to prepare yourselves. 
prepare yourselves so that you are ready to walk in those God-appointed good works. And, and, and that, my friends, is the point of our text today. And my goal in this sermon is to call you, to exhort you to ready yourselves for useful and honorable service in the household of God. I want to invite you now to give your attention as I read our text, God's word to us through the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. Follow along. And um, if you're physically able, um, please stand. This is a, a way that we can say to God, I'm giving my full attention to you. I'm honoring you in your word. I want to pay close attention. So follow along. <clears throat> Paul says, now... In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. And so, Father, we would ask that you would so magnify the glory that it is to be servants of the Most High God, useful in the household of God. Lord, I, I, I know that this is a, something that can only happen by and according to the working of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we're not just trusting in words, we're trusting and we are seeking your power and your presence to be made manifest among us in this time that we have together. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. We open our lives, Lord, to all that you would want to say to us. The claim that you would make upon us is, is you are God and, and we are your people. We're trusting you, Lord, uh, through our Savior, our brother, 
the captain of our salvation, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as I, as I say, I, I believe that the claim of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 to 26 is this. It's God's charge to us, make yourselves ready for honorable service in and through the local church. Make yourselves ready for honorable service in and through the local church. In fact, that's, that's really the, the message of the entire second chapter of 2 Timothy. It's a call to readiness for honorable service in and through the local church. And here's where I get that. Paul has been using metaphors. Metaphors in this chapter to connect us both practically and emotional with this notion of honorable service in the local church. In chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, he, he compares service in a local church to the enlistment and active service of a soldier in the military. Soldiers expect to suffer. Soldiers are expected to man their respective battle stations. Their excellence is in their readiness. In chapter 2, verse 5, he compares service in the local church to athletic competition. An athlete's success is contingent on keeping the rules. And their excellence is in being in shape. That's being ready and competing fairly. In chapter 2, verse 6, he compares service in the local church to farming. Farmers expect to work hard. They don't get a day off. They're at it morning, noon, night. It's heartbreaking work at times. Their success depends on all kinds of things out of their control, like the weather and bugs and disease and whatnot. Their excellence depends on ready anticipation of predators and nipping those problems in the bud. In chapter 2, verse 15, Paul compares service in the local church to honest, industrious employment. At work, it goes without saying. You do things right and ready, and there's no reason to be ashamed. Now, in chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, Paul shifts the metaphor yet again. And this time, he compares service in the local church to useful tableware in the great home of a great person. I said that's a big shift, right, from soldiering and farming and, and athletic competition. Those metaphors, they describe roles that would be, that, you know, relatively few of us would um, readily identify with. I'm not sure how many have served in the military or how many have been farmers or or how many have been <laughs> competitive athletes. Um, but here Paul is addressing everyone. Verse 21 says, If anyone cleanses himself or herself from what is dishonorable, he or she will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So it might be a reach for you to identify with being a warrior or an Olympian or uh, even capable of the brutally hard work of farming. Uh, 
But perhaps you can identify with doing the dishes. Readiness, in this case, is not ultimately what you are, like whether you're a a gold goblet or a silver spoon or a wooden bowl or a clay pitcher. Readiness here is not ultimately an issue of what you are made of, crystal or styrofoam. Readiness is not even ultimately about availability. You know, the, 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 t- the tableware can be there on the countertop, but with remnants of yesterday's breakfast. The, the, the point is whether it is clean and ready for use. The question Paul is asking here is, are you ready? Are you a ready vessel for honorable service in the household of God? And there is a reason, an urgency for each and every one of us to be ready. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Loved ones, the, the golden days of Christianity in America are rapidly coming to an end. It doesn't mean the cause of Christ is losing. It doesn't mean the global purpose of God is failing. It just simply means that we are living in a chapter of history when the values that we hold dear as followers of Christ are no longer broadly honored and esteemed. And hard times are here for anyone who is going to assert or stand firm for biblical convictions. And so the question is, who's going to carry on? Who's going to keep going? Who's going to remain steadfast? Will this generation and the next generation be ready when their time comes to guard the good deposit? And God's word is calling each and every one of us to readiness for honorable service in the household of God. No matter where we might be scattered, no matter what difficulties may come upon us. Are you ready? And how do you know if you are ready for honorable service in and through God's house. This text raises some very clarifying questions for us. The first one is, how do I regard the master and his house? The master of the house is great. And he is greatly to be praised. And the master's house is a great house. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable, some for common. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, readiness... For honorable service begins with high and holy regard for the master and for the master's house. Think Buckingham Palace or think the White House. Do you know what it's like to get into places like that? 
In 2006, um, we had a, a dear family friend of ours who served on the staff of President George W. Bush. And while I was on a, a, a visit, I was at a conference in Washington, D.C. that year, I, my friend got me an insider's tour of the White House. <laughs> and since it was an insider's tour, and because the president was not at home, I was able to walk through the West Wing and uh, the Oval Office and the Situation Room. Now, the, the White House itself was exceedingly impressive. You know, it's, it's big. It's, the decor is historic. It, you know, that's why they make movies like White House Down. You know, when, the, when the people are bombing the White House, you just go, oh, you, you, can't, you can't even believe that somebody would consider such a thing. But, but its impressiveness mainly has to do with the person who abides in that place. It's the President of the United States of America who walks those halls and works in that office and asserts authority and power over critical matters of national and international importance. The world is influenced by the master of that house. It was an awesome experience. Laurie and I went through the White House again at Christmas time in 2011. No West Wing tour this time, uh, but it was still impressive. If you're into Christmas trees, it was very cool. But my friend Aaron served in that house. He has pictures of him taken with the master of that house, in that house. There may be no higher honor in our land than being engaged in service of the master of that house. And therefore, when that master calls, you report ready for service, like no other service because of the regard that is due to that leader and to his house. Friends, what is your disposition to the master of this house? And I'm not talking about me or the other elders. I'm not talking about Jay Wadstra and the, you know, the board of Sioux Falls Christian School. I am talking about God, the Almighty, and the place where He dwells. And the place He dwells is not a building made by human hands. His house is made of living stones. And He dwells among His people who gather in his name, people who make up local churches. Readiness for honorable service in the household of God begins with the highest regard for God and the highest regard for the people for whom his son died to save. Is your respect and regard growing for the Lord and for the house he's building? Second, Here's the second question. Do I remain regularly engaged with the internal structures of my life? <laughs> Here's what I mean. I mean. What are the internal structures of our lives? What, what does it mean to engage with the internal structures of our lives regularly? Listen again to verses 23 through 25. Paul says, flee youthful passions 
and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. So, so passions, those are, those are matters of the heart. Pursuing, desiring, is a disposition of the heart. Righteousness, faith, love, peace, as well as kindness, patience, gentleness, they are all fruits born from the soil of our inner being, our souls. One of the most, if not the most significant categories of readiness when it comes to honorable service in the household of God is the issue of reactivity. How do you react to stressful situations? How do you react to quarrelsome, argumentative, difficult people? How do you react when someone comes and says, Oh, we got a problem here. You know what so-and-so did? How do, you, how do you react when an anxious someone says or does something that provokes you? They do evil to you. Jesus said what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is, this is what defiles a person. And this is why we give such attention, right, to tracing fruit to the root in our missional communities. It's that tracing. That's what is such a necessary and practical means of engaging with the internal structures of our lives, our emotions, our affections, our desires. Loved ones, readiness for honorable service in the household of God, especially in these unsettling times, is predicated on healthy emotional spirituality. Evil will come. We will be provoked. We will be offended by someone because we'll offend them. And we will need to correct. We we will be opposed and we will need to take a stand. And sometimes against people we love and from whom we desire approval. That requires courage. That requires backbone. That requires resoluteness. We will need discernment. Look at Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Ha! Wait a minute. Have nothing to do with controversies. Well, what have you been saying all this time, Paul? It doesn't say have nothing to do with controversies. Paul has been exhorting young Timothy in both of these letters to be fully engaged in opposing controversial, aberrant, heterodoxy. That's what called and qualified elders do. They protect the household of God from infectious doctrinal diseases. But the ready servant has the wisdom and the understanding to know which hills to die on. Some stuff is just plain dumb. 
just don't, it's not worth the time, it's not worth the ink, it's not worth the energy, it's not worth the attention. And readiness knows the difference between that and those things where we might need to take a risk. We might need to take a risk of losing our livelihood over that issue. And the way we know the difference is by engaging in the kinds of practices that nourish the bond of our union. The bond of our union with the mind of Jesus and the heart of Jesus and the passions of Jesus and the priorities of Jesus and the, and the perspective of Jesus, the very life of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says, you are in Christ. You're joined to him who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Joined to Christ, the life of Jesus animates through us. And ready, honorable service in and through the local church requires nothing less than God's wisdom, God's righteousness, holiness from him proceeding from clean hearts and healthy emotions rising from the life of Jesus animating through us. Loved ones, remain regularly engaged with the practices, the habits of grace that nourish and hydrate that bond, that relational bond with Christ. Here's the third thing. Am I running together with others? One of those habits by which we remain regularly engaged with the internal structures of our lives is, is intentional spiritual community. We value that here, Emmaus Road Church. We, we value it because verse 23 says, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There are two imperatives in that verse. Flee and pursue. They both have to do with running. <laughs> Fleeing has to do with... It, I mean, it's a strong word. It means to escape with your life. I mean, imagine getting in your vehicle after this service and there's this herd of zombies coming down the hill there. What would you do? You lock those doors and lay rubber. You get out of here. Pursuing has to do with the other direction. It's an intense term. It's, it's about hunting. I mean, imagine tracking some bull elk or 75% or off that 75-inch TV on Black Friday. It, it's, you're, you're pursuing that. You're getting up. You're losing sleep. You're, you're going after it. And Paul is specifically addressing a young man here with distinctly youthful passions. I mean, we would be tempted, right, to jump to the conclusion that Paul must be counseling Timothy about hormones and hot chicks or something like that. It's fair to conclude that. It probably does include all that. But the word translated passions is more frequently used in relationship to a young man's inclination toward Self-assurance. There's something about when you get to the midpoint in life that certain things don't matter as much. But before you get to midlife, some of those things do matter. 
And the mindset is, I can do that. I can do it better than anybody else. I can do it better right now. You see, one of the great temptations for young men is to hurry. To hurry into service. To hurry into battle. To hurry into the mission field before they are ready. And many a promising young man has fallen or endured crippling hurts due to this inclination unchecked. Listen carefully. Paul says to that impulse, that impulse to take shortcuts, you run from that bullheaded arrogance like you're being chased by zombies. That's what you need to do. And instead pursue the fruit of the Spirit like there's no meat left in the stores and you have to hunt and kill your dinner yourself. Friends, this mindset that sees running together as, as, a, cor- as a corporate means of life and death, it's readiness. It, it, it rises in accordance with our recognition that we are up against something way bigger than we can handle ourselves. And so the fourth question is, do I recognize supernatural spiritual realities? You see, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against personal, wicked, harmful, spiritual beings. Verse 25. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. If we're not ready for honorable service, one might one, one reason might be is that we're so used to fixing things by ourselves and so unpracticed in real spiritual warfare. We just don't even have categories for a personal, supernatural, spiritual being who schemes to find inroads whereby people are then enslaved to do his will. Loved ones, Honorable service in and through a local church will not be carried out simply on psychological level or economic level or physical, intellectual, mental, or emotional planes. Our help is in reliance on the power of the Lord and intentionally and earnestly pursuing the strength of His might. And that leads to one last question. Do I rejoice in God as Lord? He's the master of the house. He makes honorable servants. The Lord's servants. He calls us. He deploys us. He determines the times and the seasons. He is the ultimate cause of deliverance. He is the ultimate cause of knowledge of the truth. He is the ultimate cause of repentance and faith. He is the ultimate cause of which ones of all of his enemies are made in Christ to be his friends. Seated at his table. Dwelling joyfully in his house. He is the ultimate cause of the the what and the where and the when and the reach of our own individual particular usefulness. He is Lord. J.I. Packer, who passed away just a 
few days ago, once wrote, People treat God's sovereignty as a matter of controversy. But in Scripture, it is a matter of worship. So the question is not, do I rejoice in God? It's, do I rejoice with all my heart and soul and strength in God as Lord? Are you making yourself ready? Let's pray together. And so if you're the ultimate cause of, of it all, where we turn first in our own self-preparation, self-readying work, the first place we turn is to you. We turn to you, O oh God. We turn to you, Father. We turn to you, Son. We turn to you, Holy Spirit. We look to you, Lord, for, for life. We look to you for humble hearts. We look to you for the transformation of our inner being. We look to you for redemption of our souls and our minds and our bodies and our relationships. But it starts with our inner being. We look to you. We thank you for making us enemies of yours. You turned us into friends and welcomed us and brought us near to you, Lord, through the person and work of our Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, for the power of the Holy Spirit, apart from which we can do nothing. Flesh and blood is of no help at all. I would ask, Lord, in this this day, in this hour, in this moment, that you would set free those who are held captive to do the devil's will. Those who have opened inroads into their lives, oh God, mercifully just bring healing to them. Mercifully bring forgiveness to them. Mercifully, Lord, bring renewal to them that they might walk in the fullness of life and the joy of a great Savior. A great Savior whom now we are expressing and proclaiming as our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.